So I've been working on my authorization service and it's totally sweet. It's only taken me six months to build it, just six months. I started implementing some basic RBAC library, but that wasn't enough, obviously. So I designed relationship-based fine-grained authorization for the highest security possible. And then to make it super fast, I used a GPU tower running in my mom's basement, of course, connected via optic cable to bare metal server at my local esports lounge, permissions, restrictions, and admin. Nailed it. Wait, 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 wait. Whatever you did sounds cool, but like there's also another option. Oh, really? Yeah, with permit.io. Permit is the full-stack authorization platform created so you never have to build permissions again. Build and manage permissions for any application with policy as code, APIs, developer-friendly SDKs, and user-facing UIs. Permit is an end-to-end authorization platform built on top of open-source policy engines. It's high-performing, gets decisions in less than 10 milliseconds, and uses a hybrid approach where config is in the cloud, but data and decisions are made locally. Not only is it intuitive, it lets you implement fully functional authorization in five minutes, not six months, and in the code base you prefer. Check out the link in the show notes or go to permit.io to learn more. That's P-E-R-M-I-T dot I-O. Sign up for Permit and stop rebuilding off. The challenge with MVP is when you're building something that there is a, a robust market for and most applications have already authentication, then the MVP needs to be enough scaled so people can start using it. What we've decided is we're going to start with a a dual approach going after B2C and B2Bs, but with a set of functionality that we believed will be enough to start their deployments for new startups and new applications, developers to have authentication and authorization. My name is Gilad Shriki. I'm the co-founder of Disco. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing at the back end. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. The company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mark. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Laphart. And today, how Gilad Shriki is helping you drag and drop your customer authentication and identity management. This episode is sponsored by Kiteworks. Legacy managed file transfer tools lack proper security, putting sensitive data at risk. With Kiteworks MFT, companies can send automated or ad hoc files in a fully integrated, highly secure manner. The solution is FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense and has been so since 2017. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with Kiteworks. Visit kiteworks.com to get started. This episode is sponsored by ClearQuery. ClearQuery is the analytics for humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. With Ask ClearQuery, you can find valuable insights into your data using plain English. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify your data analytics with ClearQuery. 
get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. Gilad Shriki was born and raised in Israel. He loves the outdoors and loves to travel. Skiing is a passion of his, and he loves to explore new places in the winter, mentioning that Whistler was his most recent favorite. He started digging tech very early, and his hobbies center around it as well. He loves building things in home automation, like building microcontrollers that detect temperature or relays that turn the lights on and off. Gilad has known his current founding team for many, many years, and their last product was bought by Palo Alto Networks. When looking at what was the next big problem to solve, they dug into authentication and figured out that this was still a major problem in the ecosystem for developers and from the standpoint of cybersecurity. This is the creation story of Descope. Descope is an authentication and authorization platform for web and app developers. The concept is to create a platform and a service to allow app developers to easily handle authentication and authorization to their applications. So instead of coding and building their own mechanisms, use our service. We also do what's called customer identity and access management, so broadening the whole concept of managing identities of users for enterprises. For example, if you have a, a product, but also ticketing systems and learning management systems that each one of your end users have identities in, the idea is to unify them into a simplified user experience for those end users. It's a platform for the developers, obviously, and the IT teams. As a team, we actually go way, very back. So some of the founders know each other for decades. Our CEO, Slavik Markovic, and I uh, met in 1997. We know each other since then. Our last startup together, Demisto, was acquired by Palo Alto Networks. And after spending some time with Palo Alto Networks, we all decided that it's time to move on and build our next thing. We looked at authentication as one of the challenges that really impact cybersecurity and the whole security ecosystem. Namely, passwords are still being used in a lot of places. We also had a lot of experience building authentication mechanisms in our past companies. So we knew this is a challenge for app developers. This is a challenge for the ecosystem of cybersecurity. And there is a lot to disrupt here from that perspective. And when we left Palo Alto Networks, we decided to take on this big challenge of actually disrupting this whole ecosystem and bringing something to the market that will be both easier to use, but also super secure and super strong and robust. Let's dive into the MVP, so that first version of the product you built. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools were used to bring it to life? MVPs are very important to focus the team on something you can start going to market. The challenge with MVPs when you're building something that there is a, a robust market for and most applications have already authentication, then the MVP needs to be enough scaled so people can start using it. What we've decided is we're going to start with a a dual approach going after B2C and B2Bs, but with a set of functionality that we believed 
will be enough to start their deployments for new startups and new applications, developers to have authentication and authorization. Early on, we decided we need to be fast. So we decided to use whatever ready-made it out there. So using AWS as our cloud providers, but Cloudflare as some of our content delivery systems and software as a service where we could like databases, Kubernetes, log management. So we really went the approach of we want to be fast and scalable. So we're going to use the best in breed tools out there instead of building it ourselves. So we've been doing that. We launched our first version less than a year after we started and we've been at it since then. The idea of buying ready-made and best of breed really helps us expedite that process. Let's dive into maybe a decision or two you had to make in the early days when you're building that MVP you know, around you know, tech debt or feature cut or you know, I hear you talking about approaching it by using the, the best out there as far as like you know, vendors and integration things. Tell me about some of those decisions you had to work through and how you coped with them. One decision is obviously the MVP content. We early on had the discussion whether we want to focus on B2C applications or B2B applications or a mix. Each area has its pros and cons, but when we looked on the broader view, we decided actually to have a dual approach. Now, we had the resources to do that. Not every startup can do that. We had a pretty large seed Funding. So we started with a nice team that can deliver that MVP in a timely manner. But the decision was go in a dual mode approach, B2B and B2C, and have the MVP in each one of them. I think that helped us actually secure a lot of these different markets at the beginning in that perspective. Now, another decision, like I said, the building of mechanisms versus using ready-made was a big decision for us in order to be faster, in order to utilize our resources in the area that we needed. So directed to the MVP rather than building log systems or building mechanisms to maintain our Kubernetes. So I think in general, and again, we had the, the luxury of having those decisions because we had the fund to do that, the funding. Sometimes it might not be the case for other startups. That, that's where we went to. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names... Only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory.
This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools are dated and lack the security that today's remote workforce demands. Companies that continue relying on outdated technology put their sensitive data at risk. And that's where KiteWorks comes in. KiteWorks MFT is absolutely the most secure MFT on the market today. It has been FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense since 2017. Through FedRAMP, KiteWorks level of security compliance provides a fast route to CMMC compliance, saving customers time, effort, and money. KiteWorks MFT makes it easy for users to send automated or ad hoc files via fully integrated shared folders and email. Administrators can manage policies in a unified console and create custom integrations using their API. Did we mention it's secure? The level of security with KiteWorks Solution is rare to find. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. That's K-I-T-E-W-O-R-K-S dot com. So then you've got your MVP. It's working you have you know, made those decisions, you're progressing forward and you're getting some traction. How did you mature and progress the product? And I think to wrap that in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how'd you build your roadmap and how did you go about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Dscope? We are very open to feedback. So we interviewed a lot of companies, a lot of developers, think over 150 customers before we even started the code. And the second piece is that we are obsessed about feedback from customers specifically. Along the way, we built our MVP roadmap, we started developing it, we launched it, and we actually secured, I think, a handful of design partners. And we used those design partners to actually validate and improve our roadmap. And we looked on what the market is doing, what our design partners are needing. And every call with a prospect, every call with a developer, every call from a conference that we went to was basically recorded, was analyzed, and was put into the roadmap in some capacity. This helped us understand where the market wants to go, where the market needs to be at, and that helped us create the roadmap. We do have great product managers that look on to any customer engagement, but also any market directions. You Obviously, this field is now buzzing with Paskies. We are part of the Paskies work groups at Fido. We're looking, we're listening. Every little conversation counts, and this is, comes into a big kind of like mechanism of prioritization and decision-based, and then eventually that produces our work. Okay, so I hear you saying we. Tell me about how you built your team and what you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you. We are a bit unusual here. We are eight co-founders. Yeah, you heard me right, eight. And again, these are more of a friends, right? So we know each other for decades. We work together. Each one of us know exactly what the other, what they're good at, what their perks. When I say we, I basically, it's the, the royal we of this team, which we know each other for so long. And by the looks of each eyes, you know where they're going, where they're leaning. So that's the team we started. Like I said, the previous startup is where really where we all came together. And now we just decided to go and build a new thing together again. The team is bigger than that eight. The team has 
a lot of other great people that we picked up along the way. I'm happy to say that a lot of the team, we know them from previous companies or somebody else knows them from past life. And I think this is a great way to build a team we trust. You build it around the culture that you want it to be, around the atmosphere and the environment you want the company to live in. So I can say 90% of the team is somebody knows somebody or we know them. And that has been a great way to build this team for us. And it's working really well. Uh, it actually worked, again, it worked before, and, and that's why we continue with it, with that approach. Hello, welcome to the Data Analytics Club. Do you know the password? No, I didn't know there was one. Do you know how to code? Uh, no. Do you know how to query data? Like, ask a question? I guess not. Hmm, I see. Then you can't be in this club. Sorry, goodbye. Don't be left out of the Analytics Club. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. ClearQuery provides you with the information you need without requiring you to do the heavy lifting. Their Ask ClearQuery feature allows you to ask questions in plain English, helping you find relationships and connections in your data that may have previously gone unnoticed. You can even visualize your data with presentation mode, taking your data storytelling to the next level. Pricing is based on storage, not licenses, and that ensures that you get the most bang for your buck. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify data analytics, your data analytics, with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. This will be interesting given what you've built, but I'm curious about scalability. So did you build this to scale um, or with scale in mind from the very beginning? Or have you been fighting this as you grow and gain traction in any sort of capacity? So any other company, my answer would be different. But here, we actually built it to scale day one. And the importance of authentication for apps is so critical that early on we said there are few areas we are not going to compromise in order to gain speed here. One is security, the other is scalability. And these areas are really core to the design. Now there are other areas we said are very important, documentation, being developer friendly, have this customer first mentality. And all of these are 
part of our design considerations and factors. But yes, security and accessibility and availability, scalability, redundancy are all at the core of day one design. Without that, it's very hard to secure the critical customers. Because think about it, we are in the forefront of their applications. We ask them to trust us. If we're down, they're down. So yeah, so that day one, full-on high availability, no single point of failure, redundancy and scalability are, are in the core of the design. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? A lot. The mentality of this team, the customer obsession, the ability to create something that is self-served is something that was like a challenge for us that we took on this concept. And I'm happy to be very proud of managing that. Our previous company was an enterprise sale, large customer success team, large sales team, small documentation team, very high touch deployments. When you're coming and selling to developers like we're trying to do, it's very important that the mechanism is all geared around self-service, great documentations, a lot of sample code, a lot of examples, things like that. And early on, I said, that's going to be a challenge. We've never done that. And now when I look and say, hey, you know what? We have a lot of developers joining the product, starting a project, launching a system without even talking to us. And that's I'm super proud of. The team has created something that It was not in our comfort zone, but we actually looked and we learned a lot. We looked at other companies that does that. We talked uh, with chief customer officers of Twilio and other big companies that did that. And I'm happy to be proud of saying, yeah, we actually managed very well in that challenge that we had less experience of. So I'm happy it was a focus for us and I'm happy we're successful at that. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. We are quite young, but one of the mistakes that I try to avoid, and it's always happening, is prioritizing things to the development team or product management team without really understanding the context or without really securing or qualifying the customer request. In the previous company, it was a little bit more apparent because we dealt with like global 2000 customers. Here, yes, there was a couple of times where we saw a request for a customer, we prioritized it, but then eventually customer didn't need it or use that. Obviously, there is an alternative cost where you're prioritizing something that is not used and what did you deprioritize to get it in? I think this is something we will we always keep our eyes on, but we had that incident where we asked something to be prioritized and then eventually it wasn't even used and it might have been creating some unneeded noise in the team and eventually the deprioritizing of something else. How we dealt with it? We're learning. We're always learning. Listen, this is one mistake. I'm sure we'll do more of those or more of others, but the idea is to learn from these mistakes and to make sure you actually come out of them a little bit better in handling them, a little bit better in avoiding them. That, that's the most important piece. We're doing a lot of post-mortem activities and retrospectives about almost everything that 
didn't go 100% well. Even to some things that are going very well, we do retrospective just to learn what we did good. But the things where you're very good learning on is where you fail, where you do mistakes. And I think the what we're using those incidents or scenarios is to learn and improve. This will be fun to ask. Tell me what the future looks like for Dscope, the product, and for your team. My view, or my hopes, is as we progress around this whole customer identity and access management, have, as we grow the concept of what we call the identity broker, where you have one identity. When you have one identity, it's very easy for you to understand your profile, but it's also very easy for the company that you are using or the service that you are using to understand who you are and to give you a better service. As our roadmap progressed, we have the entire B2B vector to improve, and we're working a lot around that. We're going to improve the ability of enterprises to understand who they're working with, to unify the identities of the users, and eventually give better user experience for their customers. For the B2C parts is we're pushing very hard on passkeys because we believe it's the best of both worlds, security and user experience. We already support passkeys. We are creating a lot of enablement, a lot of education for the field to actually for app developers to use them. The whole concept of onboarding a, an end user to the application to create a very robust user experience and simple user experience for those that's a major view for us because that will actually improve how applications handle their user's identity and their user's journey into the application. That is a major building block for our product. We already have a big offering around that and we are going to improve it dramatically. As, as the one responsible for the DevRel developer success and all the services, my aim, and I always tell it to our CEO, I want you to make me out of a job, meaning I want you to create the best intuitive, the best easy and the, the best reliable product so nobody will need to talk with us. I'm focusing on the collateral, on the assisting uh, the collateral and content to assist the developers without talking to us. Now, I'm, it's not that I lo- don't like talking with them, but I like them to be successful on their own. That will help me have a very scaled, small scale team and that, that is, a, honestly, that is a, a dream of mine. Managing three digits number teams in the previous company, here I really want to make it robust in the sense of there is the product, there is the documentation, and there is a lot of automations around it. So we don't need 100 people to assist customers. If we need to, we will, but I'm trying not to. Let's switch to you, Gilad. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. When I look at the ecosystem and when I look on what am I looking for, there's few companies that I really follow. Now, it's their leadership, obviously, that's causing, but I never get hung on names. But I do look on different companies as examples of things that I am respecting and I am impressed by. It's maybe a cliche, but I'm looking on Netflix as a pivoting company. 15 years ago, I was one of uh, the subscribers of Netflix that would get CDs over in the mail. 
Now people can say, how old am I? But the way this journey, this company went, I am impressed, really, because I was there in those milestones of sending CDs, then like starting a small on-demand viewing online and to where they are today of content and generation and everything. So that is something that I'm impressed with. And I always look, okay, how companies need to pivot and what happens if they don't, if you give the contrast of Blockbuster. I really look up on Twilio and how they build a collateral and their developer-facing mechanisms. I'm always looking into examples and what they do in that perspective, events, documentation, sample codes, publications. This is something, too, that I'm impressed with, and I'm always keen on learning more in this area because, again, for us, it was a new thing, and we are always looking to learn from it. So these are the companies that I like tracking. Obviously, I'm a big Apple guy, and the thing that I like about it outside of the user experience is ecosystem plays. Apple is not doing anything without a big ecosystem move, and that is also something that we look here. I think when you, any product you launch, you need to look on, okay, how does it impact the ecosystem, not only the users? And I think Apple is doing a great job there. Last question, Gilad. So you're getting on a plane. And you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't we show it off to you right there on the plane? What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit with with your eight other founders? Yeah. (laughs) So I think it goes to that perspective of first, surround yourself with people you trust. Whatever you do, the team is, I think one of the more important things that will decide if you're successful or not. You need to bring people that are passionate, like you, excited about what you guys are building, and that are willing to do whatever it takes. Now, look, we are eight co-founders. More than half of us are still writing code, right? And all of us are doing what it takes. We're taking customer calls. We're taking sales calls. We're writing code. I think number one is the team. And the most important is a team that you can work with, you can trust, and people that are willing to do whatever it takes. That's number one. Number two, pace yourself. I think there is a big roller coaster coming toward you. Set achievable milestones. Set things that you know you can take. It is important to achieve milestones at the beginning because if you set up too high of targets that you're going to miss, it's, it, it impacts morale a bit. It impacts encouragement a bit. Overachieving a slightly lower objectives is better than missing higher targets. That's my belief. I think this is important to do. And then number three is keep customers at the center. Think about the customers. Get feedback. I've seen a lot of founders very excited about what they're building. And they just said, hey, I'm building this and missed a lot of feedback from the market. So the number three recommendation would be listen to the customers, listen to your market, and understand the value that you're bringing. Value is a key word in this world. You need to bring value. You need to solve problems. If you're not doing any of those, it's, it's going to be very hard. So understand the value you're bringing, understand the problems you're solving, keep customers in the center of what you're doing and the day-to-day operations. It's okay to do things that won't scale, Depending on what you're building, it's okay to move fast. But again, look at the customers and what you're solving for them. 
That's fantastic advice, all three of them. Well, Gilad, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Descope. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.